we come now before God's Word, you can turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, uh, to 2 Samuel in chapter 21. This is in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 21. And before we read, would you please pray with me, our God? Hmm. We know that your word is alive because you are alive. And Lord, would you use your word now to pierce our hearts, to discern the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts? Lord, would you help us as we come now to see you and to follow you? Would you help us to believe and guide us by your spirit now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read here uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21. I'll begin in verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. This is 2 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sibichai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jer or Agim, the Bethlehemite struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is God's word. Now, here at Big Creek on our Sunday mornings, we've been reading through a section of 2 Samuel. We've been following really what is a civil war in Israel during the days of Absalom, the son of David. And so we're focusing just on that season during the life of Absalom. So that means we'll finish with the account of Absalom's death, which happens in chapter 18 of 2 Samuel. And that's good. But that also means that we're not going to get to make it to this section in 2 Samuel. And honestly, that just makes me a little sad. 
You know, I, I really wanted to get to dive in and preach on these verses. So here we are. I'd like to say there's a holier reason for this than that, but that's it. And as I dug into these, I found things that I did not expect here. At least not that my younger self would have expected. Uh, maybe this was the same for some of you too. When I discovered uh, these verses when I was a little kid, and even now it's very similar, I was just fascinated by this. I mean, I knew the story uh, of, of Goliath, but, you know, there's more giants. You know, I'm looking in here, and these are like giant people. It's not just one giant. There's a, a bunch of giants, and, and not only Goliath. And so uh, it was just interesting to me and, and strange. So this was up there with, uh, you know, the, the account where the prophet makes the axe head float in the water. Strange. And, and, and the part where there's the, the she-bears that go out and all the boys that call Elisha bald head. Strange. Yeah, and the guy that, that, that is listening to Paul preach and he falls out of the window and dies, but Paul raises him up. Um, you know, that's strange. I see that last one with whole different eyes now as a preacher. If you're sitting close to the window, scoot in uh, just a little bit. But these are all just fascinating, odd parts about the scripture. They're almost unbelievable. And, and not only are there giants here, there's, there's one giant with, with six fingers and six toes. You know, what's going on there? Now, at this point, I want to be careful here for us, especially for me. I, wanna, I, I, I don't want to treat this section like a Ripley's Believe It or Not to gawk at. And this is not just snippets of trivia to show off at parties, <laughs> whatever parties you're going to in which that would be impressive. And in choosing this passage here, I am not trying to be novel or cute or just find something new and different and strange because I know I'm speaking to a room full of pastors and elders and leaders and you have heard it all a hundred times. This is God's holy word. And all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It is useful, all of it. And that includes these lines of God's word. And we know that not all scripture is profitable in exactly the same way. So we need to regularly hear verses like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to hear that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We need to hear that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We need verses like that often. They're central to our faith in Jesus. And, and, and some verses we even need to hear more often maybe than other parts of Scripture. And, and those are the ones that we, that we try to, try to memorize even. We, we, we crochet them into wall hangings. Uh, or, or maybe, you know, scribble them on our, our bathroom mirror or on a note card on our office desk. Or, or if, we're, if we're really edgy, we maybe tattoo them on an arm or a foot or, or something. Uh, and... and, and 
All of those things can be good. These are attempts to keep the deep truths of God before our eyes so that they'll sink deep into our hearts. And yet, and yet at the same time, I don't want that to take away from what we read here. Because this is still the breath of God. And he has has purpose in it more than just to report the quirks of Israelite history. We would miss the good profit that God would give us if we neglect even these curious passages. So we need to ask as we look at this, what would God have us to see here? So pastor, elder, Christian, let's look and see what the Lord is saying. There was war again. It starts. And if you noticed, as I read, that phrase is repeated in that exact same way multiple times. Now, we don't know exactly when these wars occurred. The author doesn't tell us here. We know that we're in the final chapters of the books of Samuel. So this is mostly toward the end of King David's life and reign. It's a close in the chapter of of the Israelite history. And we also know that these last four chapters of, of 2 Samuel are not quite in chronological order. It's kind of a grab bag here, and sometimes they dip back into earlier events. And that's the reason why some people called these last four ch- chapters of 2 Samuel the, the appendix of Samuel. It's the leftover stuff. It's the, it's the, it's the junk drawer. You know you have a junk drawer, Yes. It's got the tape that's almost empty in there, half-burned candles, the, the key that probably goes to a door, but you're not sure which one, so you can't quite throw it away, and, and you know, a, a, a bunch of wars that you forgot to mention earlier. No. This is not a junk drawer. I think that's a, not a helpful way to think about this. This is closer to a memory box. We've also got one of those in our house. It's green, like seafoam green with the dots on it. That doesn't matter. But you know, you've got one of these probably in your home too, at least some, something like it where you, where you stick uh, you know, ticket stubs and, and playbills and, and the sugar, sugar packet that you kept from your first date. That's what this is like here at the end. And so if we pull this out of the memory box, this section, what we'll see here is four whole distinct wars which are purposefully bundled together with a rubber band. They're very briefly summarized, several of them, some only with just one sentence, and that's it, a whole war with a single sentence. But they're bound together with clear, intentional reminders here, purposefully, you probably thought this as I read it, pointing us backward toward Goliath. I mean, each one of them has staggering similarities to the Goliath account. In each one, uh, it, it starts that there was war with the Philistines, In each, there's a particular giant who's the figurehead who is struck down, and at each one, it's it's at the hand of a particular Israelite. 
also scattered throughout, we see these details that are very similar to Goliath accounts, like the, the weight of the spear in shekels, as if I you know, know how to calculate that. And, and, and the, one of the spears is compared to a weaver's beam, which is exactly what Goliath's is. And, and the last one taunts and defies Israel, just as Goliath had done. All of these are drawing parallels back to Goliath. They're purposefully pointing the reader's mind there, except, except with one key difference. Here, we're at the opposite end of David's life. At Goliath's time, David was young, ruddy, whatever that is, handsome, strong, you know, kids. Now, verse 15, there was war again with the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. Now, this does not mean that he was old, necessarily, the author doesn't tell us again when these battles happen. It's likely that these happened even before the events with Bathsheba, if you're familiar with that. You know how that account starts with, in the time when kings went off to war, but David doesn't go, he instead sends Joab. That's probably as a result of these sorts of things. Um, at any rate, we know that war makes all of them, any of us, weary, but for some reason, David is particularly singled out as weary. He's somehow deemed not physically fit to battle anymore. You can see it happening in the first war that's described at the front page of the bundle of the rubber bands. So as David is fighting, he grows weary in war, is all the, is all the writer says, and this hulking guy... Ishbi Banab, boy, there's a name for us, uh, one who's descended from the Rafa, which are apparently these, this whole race of giants. Uh, he sees and hones in on David's weakness. And the text says he thought then to kill him. So this guy comes barreling toward David, and you can kind of picture the scene in your mind, you know, sideways, out of nowhere, comes this Israelite uh, Abishai, and you can the, the clanging of swords and, and the flashing of the seals and, and the grunts and the cries, and when all the dust settles of the battle, someone's dead, and it's not David. It's the giant Abishai or Ashby Benab, David is alive. He's standing, but barely. He's panting. Oh, boy, that one took it out of me. And as a result of that, there's a part in this text that I never noticed as a kid, too distracted by all the, the exciting, interesting parts about the giants, uh, but it seems that this is the center of the text. After the battle is over, this first battle in which David grew weary, David's men have to have a very difficult conversation with him. They say, listen, David, you can't come into battle with us anymore. This is not disrespect. 
They clearly call him the lamp of Israel. You know, this is still the Lord's anointed king. And this is not a push out or a hostile takeover. At the end, actually, of the whole section, the, the victories are attributed also to David. What's happening here is just facing reality. David is not able to fight like he once could. Perhaps you know a measure of what that is like to be on one side or the other of that conversation. This happens in families where sometimes we have to say, Mom, it's time. You need to hang up your car keys for the last time. Honey, your work is killing you. You cannot do this anymore. And it can be painful on both sides. We're having to face the loss of things we once had or at least thought we had. This happens not only in families, but we know it clearly. It happens in churches where changes over time now limit our ability to do certain things because we don't have the people we once had because we don't have the money we once had, because we don't have the strength or the energy or the excitement we once had. And pastors, you know this happens to you too. Even us younger ones. Where sometimes we face seasons of such deep weariness that we have to pause and wisely consider whether it would be good for us to step back, either temporarily or more long-term. And that can be scary. I'd rather fight a giant, frankly. In all of these situations, we cannot afford to ignore and push forward and just say, I got this. We cannot afford to remember, to, or to live on the remember wins of the past. And we cannot afford to rest on the laurels of old victories. You have to wonder if when David, these guys come to him, if, if David was tempted to say, or did say maybe even, to them and maybe even to himself, don't you know who I am, fellas? I mean, I toppled Goliath with a single stone. I am the giant guy, and you need me. It is, it is no disgrace to step back in weariness. It is no disgrace to step back in weariness but it is disgrace to press forward in stubbornness. And if, by the grace of God, we do not make 
war on the sin of our pride to put it to death, that pride will turn on us and try to kill us instead. These things may be very costly, not only to us, but to our families, to our churches, and even to the name of the Lord. I need to take a breath for a moment. We don't know what David's response was here. Uh, the author doesn't tell us how he responded to this, at least personally. Uh, what we know is that in this memory box of rubber-banded battles, after this, there was war again. And you know, in the next three battles, David does not appear and there's still victory. There was again war, and there was a giant staff, and he was struck down by the man Sibekai. And there was again war, and there was a giant Goliath, different than the one we know, and he was struck down by the man Elhanan. And there was again war, and there was a giant with all these extra digits, and he was struck down by the man Jonathan. And I, I think, honestly, it's no accident that this final opponent is this unnamed guy uh, who's just identified by all his extra fingers and toes. You know, have you ever, ever wondered, if you've read this before, uh, why the author like, does the math for us at the end of it? You know, it's like he's got six on each hand and four on each foot. I know we've got a math teacher in the room. 24 in all, it says. It seems to point that out as if that's uh, significant somehow. Now, there's still lots of discussion about the significance of this abnormality, and so I don't feel like I can nail it down fully, but there is evidence from later Assyrian texts uh, called the Summa Izbu, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, that, uh, that talk about how if a child is born with one extra digit on a hand or, or either hand or either foot, what that means as an omen, as a sign. If he's got an extra on his right hand, it means this omen. And if he's got an extra on his left foot, it means this omen. So, so this guy's got extra digits on all of his appendages. He is, he is brimming with omens. It's as if this last uh, giant would be seen by some, not only as this physically menacing, hulking giant of a man, he's also seen as having the mark of the gods. He's extra powerful perhaps seen by some as even having some magic force within him. This man would eclipse even David's Goliath. He would be the final boss in the Nintendo video game. And yet when he taunts Israel, the people of God, he too is struck down, and not by David, by the man Jonathan. What does this do to us? What profit or benefit does this have for us? This account, these, all four of these taken together, are not as vivid or not as detailed or as visually striking as the Goliath account. Uh, you know, there's not, uh, there's not books written about these. There's not a flannel graph uh, that, that's got these guys on it. And there's not songs like the one about the boy named David and the five little stones he took. And, and that's fine. You know, it's even good. We don't need a, a song about everything. 
But I'm so glad that the Lord tucked this into our memory box for us every so often to just pull it out and dust it off and sit with it for a while. Because as we really look at this, the Lord is encouraging and reminding us here that the fate of Israel does not rest on the shoulders of David. These are the people of God. These are his people, and these are his battles. And I would imagine that throughout the life of Israel, there were times in particular that they needed to hear that. Your people need to hear that, as do mine. The Lord is the Lord, Big Creek. And you probably need to hear this. That the battle does not depend upon you. That even when David is gone, the Lord remains. And he is still powerfully at work in his people. So if you are part of a church that's in transition, either denominationally or in leadership, when David is gone, the Lord remains. And if you're part of a church that has built major parts of its ministries and even this whole church around maybe one leader or one pastor and his family, when David is gone, the Lord remains. And if you're part of a new church that's, that's struggling to get even just a little bit of traction, and it seems like everything will fall apart if you lost just one person that's barely holding all of this together, when David is gone, the Lord remains. And if you're part of an old church where the beams are starting to sag, and so are the backs of many of your people, That hit me in a soft spot. When David is gone, the Lord remains. We know that we belong to Jesus. We are his people, and we were bought by his blood, not our own. And so we look to him. And no matter how often the battle comes again, no matter how many giants and how many fingers they have, the Lord remains, and we will trust him. Would you pray with me? Mm. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom and the way that you show yourself to us in this and reminding us that you are God of all, over everything, over everyone. Guard us against the sins of pride, Lord, and draw us to you again to come to trust you deeper and deeper and deeper. And we give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.